The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program, WMKV, Maple Knoll Communities, its staff, or management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investment. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on 89.3 FM WMKV. And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox. Good afternoon. I am Vena Jones-Cox, and this is Real Life Real Estate Investing, your nation's public radio show for all the latest real estate news, tips, techniques, strategies, all the things you know to get yourself on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. And today we're going to talk about how you can be well on your way to financial independence through real estate investing while at the same time not going to jail. Our topic today is how to legally raise and pool private money. My guest is Jillian Sidoti. She is from the law office of Jillian Sidoti, which is a national law firm specializing in assisting real estate entrepreneurs with capital raising strategies, concentrating on securities, transactions, and securities regulations specific to real estate entrepreneurs. Joining us from her office in California is Jillian Sidoti. Jillian, welcome to Real Life Real Estate. Thank you so much, Vina, for having me. How are you today? Uh, very good, very good. And um, I, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to this program because um, I like trying to keep people out of trouble, as I know, <laughs> as I know you do. Uh, and we've got this thing going on in real estate investing right now, where bank money is scarce. Conventional sources have largely shut down. And lots of people are raising their money through private individuals. And it's not that there's anything basically wrong with that. I mean, it can be a good synergy if you have somebody with cash who wants a return and you know how to do real estate. The problem, as I understand it, is that the way most people are doing it is completely illegal. Right. (laughs) Exactly. You got to just be careful about how you go out. You're asking people to give you money and they don't, if you're not making the proper disclosures, um, that means that they're probably not apprised of the appropriate risks with real estate investing. So there is definitely rules and laws in place to make sure that people are not, that people don't fall into scams. Um, Most people out there aren't trying to do a scam. But the government doesn't see it that way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the way most folks, um, uh, uh, let me let me let me step back a second and say that most folks aren't even aware that there are things that they should be doing in regards to raising private money uh, because they've been taught by somebody else that it's okay, or they just you know haven't thought about it too much. But even the people who are aware that there might be another legal step that they should take are sort of excusing it to themselves by saying, well, my private lenders always get all of their money back. Therefore, 
I will never be accused of anything and I cannot get in trouble. But uh, from what I'm reading from uh, legal briefs around the country, there are folks who are getting accused of things, indicted of things, where their private lenders have never lost a dime. That's correct. Yes. And, and you and I have both spoken about that. And that's happened multiple times. And it's not even so much um, an indictment, which in, involves a criminal action, but more of the civil action, which can be just as damaging to a real estate investor because the legal fees you will have to pay to get yourself out of that civil action will be overwhelming. They will destroy you. Um, I don't say that lightly. Um, I've had multiple clients who have been um, the subpoena um, for, you know, just just so the government can research if you're doing anything wrong. Whether they're sure you've done anything wrong or not uh, will be the subject of the subpoena. They'll figure that out at, after they've already served you the subpoena. So, um, and, and responding to those is very, very serious. Uh, so that's what you want to try to avoid is even getting one of those subpoenas. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, the, the, the specific thing we're talking about that folks are sort of um, making continual mistakes with is what we call like the traditional private lender model. I have a house I want to buy, so I go find somebody who's got the money and they loan me the money and they get a mortgage or a deed of trust against the property to secure their money and then I pay them back just like I would pay a bank back. And uh, there's a, I know that someone is going to email me a question that says, well, but wait, why is that a problem? That transaction is not a security. It's not like I have to register it or get an exemption because I heard from some national guru that if it's only one loan and one lender, that there's nothing I have to do. Right. Um, that's not true. Um, the, the thing is that there are a lot of exemptions available for that model, for the private lender model, where if you are securing the property with a deed of trust or a mortgage, there is an exemption under the law that you don't have to necessarily register that security transaction, that you don't have to tell the state. However, it doesn't mean that it's not a security. It just means that you don't have to register it. And if you're going to continuously go out and look for money for the purpose of real estate investing, for the purpose of getting mortgages and deeds of trust on property or finding private lenders, you are selling a security. So that's not going to change. The change is going to take place on how you have to treat it on A, how you got the, co- the investor into your company in the first place, and B, um, whether or not you're crossing state lines, and finally see whether or not you secured that with a deed of trust or mortgage. And that's going to tell you where your exemptions are going to be from registration, or if you do have to do registration, what kind of registration you have to do. It doesn't mean just because uh, you, you're doing it, you know, one person per property that it doesn't mean that it's a, a, it's not a security. It's still a security. Now you have to find the exemption to make sure that you don't have to register it. Uh, you're still obligated to tell that investor all of the all of the risks involved with 
um, investing, et cetera. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, in terms of those um, registrations for these kinds of loans, that's that's not something we can really tackle here on the radio because they literally are different in every single solitary right. state in the union. Right. Um, I, I know here in Ohio, there's there's no level at which you're not supposed to file something. There's there's a, a one for zero to five or one to five loans and one for five to ten and one for ten plus or something like that. Uh, I had just heard in Tennessee that uh, you can have up to a certain number of loans, 16 or something like that, uh, without any registration. So that's something that we're going to have to send listeners to uh, go and check with somebody knowledgeable in their state about. And by the way, good luck trying to find that person. And but but you said you said some other things about that, that uh, even folks who have discovered this, have done whatever registration is necessary are really mostly not complying with uh, one of which is that disclosure. Uh, what 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 sort of dis- is this a verbal disclosure, a written disclosure? What what sort of things does it say to the lender? A written um, a written disclosure is always going to be best. Um, I would never ever ever recommend that uh, a real estate investor rely solely or a real estate entrepreneur have their investors rely solely on oral representations. That, to me, as a lawyer in general, whether securities or otherwise, is a bad idea because then it becomes into a he said, she said thing. And the other thing is, too, you want your investor to sign paperwork that says that everything I've told you is within and everything regarding investment is within the four corners of this document. So they can't take some random thing you might have offhandedly said in casual conversation to mean part of the transaction. So what are the disclosures you need to make? You need to tell the investor exactly what they're investing in, how much they're investing, where their investment dollars are going, what the risks are involved in investing those investment dollars, and when they can expect their money back. Um, Those are things that are really, really important. And and they can be, especially the when are they expecting their money back, there there can be a range of time or we're not sure or several different exit strategies, but you at least have to advise your investors what your intent is with their money. Uh, For them not to know that would be extremely dangerous. And, And think about it from the perspective of the investor. Would you want to invest your own money with somebody without having a proper disclosure or knowing all the risks or knowing things that you would want to know in order to invest? Those are the things that are really, really important. Um, And it's not really hard to come by this stuff or expensive to come by this stuff because you don't need a full-blown private placement memorandum. I know a lot of people out there are probably thinking, she's about to sell a private placement memorandum to me, and that's not true at all. You do, however, need to make the proper disclosures mm-hmm. uh, for no other reason except to make sure you guys have a, a, an established relationship. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. I'm going to invite listeners who would like to challenge Jillian, ask Jillian questions, uh, whatever, to give us a call at 772-9658 in the greater Cincinnati area or 877-772-9658 if you're listening to us online, or go to askvina.com and send us an email through our response form at that site. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. 
Ivina Jones-Cox. My guest today is Jillian Sidoti, who is an attorney and real estate investor and expert on fundraising and fundraising laws and also the uh, all-day speaker at on October 3rd at the Ohio Real Estate Investors National New, New Strategy Summit. Uh, for those of you who were lucky enough to get your seats in that during Fund Drive, and if you weren't, you can go to wmkvfm.org and check it out, because uh, obviously this is a topic that uh, we're, 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 we're talking today about sort of what not to do, but in the all-day session, Jillian will be able to talk about what to do and also how to actually find those investors who are uh, out there wanting to put money in real estate, but you don't know who they are. So, and Vina, if I could just quick um, interject there, because I want people to know that you're not going to be coming to see just a, a boring legal session on all the legal stuff. I'm really going to show you how to actually apply this. Um, so I don't want you to be scared that it's going to be too much legal mumbo jumbo because it's not. Um, it's really going to be applicable. You'll will be able to take things from this class and go out and use it later. I promise. <laughs> yes, yes. And um, I, I, sh I was just corrected. Apparently, I said October 3rd for the OREA conferences. In fact, November the 3rd, 4th, 5th, and 6th. Uh, now, uh, going back to these disclosures that we ought to be giving private lenders, because um, I just, yeah, there's, there's a lot of people out there theoretically teaching how to get private lenders, and none of them are saying written disclosure. They're, they're saying, no, don't say the word guarantee, don't say the word secure, uh, but they're not saying disclose, disclose, disclose. Um, you mentioned that we need to be disclosing the risks to the private lender, and I think most people's reaction to that would be, well, there's no risk. I mean, I'm only borrowing 70% of the value of the property. So, I mean, worst case scenario is they take the property back and they're going to get all their money back no matter what happens. At the same time, I've seen this disclosure. There's like 17 pages of risks. <laughs> can you can you give some examples of some 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 actual risks that someone in investing their money in someone else's real estate face that that you know, we don't think of? Well, there's a lot of things. There's okay. First of all, there's there's some what I think are the obvious things like. Um, the market could change. You know, it's so funny because when I worked in real estate development myself, um, somebody who I admired, I used to do condo conversions down in San Diego. I worked for a company down there and somebody I really trusted and admired um, and still do, I said to them, you know, what do you think if the market plummets? This was back in 2005. I said, what would you think if the market plummets, um, we should start selling off properties right now, or we should start hoarding cash. And that person said to me, well, even if the market drops 20%, we'll start, turn a profit. <laughs> well, guess what? The market drops 50%. So that's a real risk, no matter where you are, or, you know, what you're doing. That's a, that's a risk. The, the market can always change. The another risk the, the house could burn down if you're talking about single-family homes. You could move in tenants who don't pay their rents um, and then have a terrible time getting them out. We all know those problems exist. You, I, I mean, the, the, the list goes on and on. Or perhaps you bought the property and you didn't realize that there were problems like such as it needed a new roof that's going to cost 
you know, $5,000 or it's going to need new plumbing or the pipes burst the minute you go in there or there was some kind of lien on the property. Uh, I mean, obviously, title insurance can take care of those type things. But, I mean, there's all kinds of issues that could happen. Um, It could be subject to litigation. Uh, the, The list goes on and on and on. Now, when you're talking about one lender per property, you're mitigating the risks quite a bit because you're limiting those risks to that one particular property as, as opposed to a fund where the risks you know, go to each and every property and to each and every investor in terms of loss of money. So um, I, hope that, I hope that answers your question. Like, yeah, there, there are definitely risks. It, it, 70, 70% LTV means nothing. Uh, honestly, when it comes right down to it, because that can be blown right out of the water. Um, if construction costs go over, if you get a terrible tenant in there, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Or you get an uninsurable problem like mold or lead paint <laughs> or, um, yeah. So <clears throat> the, 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 the risks that an, an attorney, an eligible attorney would tell you um, need to be disclosed to a potential lender are different than what we think of as investors as as risk in a property, uh, which is why it's probably a good idea to get an attorney to draw up this disclosure for you. And then even though you hate it when you read it, because you say no one is going to sign this, <laughs> uh, right. still still distribute it. Uh, what what is okay? So so let's let's say Jillian that there is a um, investor here in the state of Ohio who's um, actively out borrowing private money, and there, there, there have been no problems. No one's, no one's unhappy. No one's upside down. No one's been unpaid. But the attorney general gets interested in what they're doing, uh, sends them a subpoena, looks at all their files, and discovers that these disclosures have not been made to anyone. What is the likely outcome of that? Well, they're gonna first. They'll, what they'll do is they'll send a subpoena, and that alone is going to be troublesome to respond to because the thing is it's like it even if you keep great records the time you have to take away from your business to respond to that subpoena and then respond appropriately is going to be troublesome at best and expensive in terms of attorney's fees if you do decide to enlist an attorney and and I would recommend, of course, if you get served with a subpoena or a request for documents, to hire an attorney because um, they're not these subpoenas are not easy to read or easy to respond to properly. Uh, there's definite definite forms you got to respond to. But then let's just say yes, like you said, there's they find pro- improper disclosures were made. They could call for disgorgement. That would probably be the worst thing could happen. What's disgorgement? You have to return all of your investors' money right away. Um, And in some cases, and it depends on the state, they might call for triple damages. That's not good. So then you have to return triple the amount of the money that you took from the investors. How terrible would that be? So there's all kinds of like bad things that could happen, disgorgement and, and, and triple damages probably being the the worst um but uh in the end you know probably most likely what will happen is a cease and desist order which means you're going to be stopped essentially from raising any more private money until you get your stuff together and if you don't get your stuff together you're going to have the cease and desist 
um, hanging over your head where you can't raise any money. Um, and, this, and the thing I tell people is that it costs way more to correct the problem than to do it right the first time. The other thing is about the cease and desist is that it's fine and good that you may be able to correct it later after a lot of legal fees and a lot of um, undoing of, of what, what you've already done with your other investors. The problem really lies in your reputation because that cease and desist letter is going to follow you around for a very long time, and then you're going to have to uh, disclose that to subsequent investors and let them know that you received the cease and desist letter, not to mention it's searchable on the Internet. So if nothing else, minimally you'll get a cease and desist, and it's going to follow you around. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So... So no fun, and uh, God help you if you do have an unhappy investor, because when we've... That's that's really no good. That really will open up a whole can of worms. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Because uh, I know complaints to the Attorney General's office over these sorts of things is something that uh, uh, they tend to eat up, because they're all about consumer protection and... uh, if someone uh, is complaining about you, whether whether they've actually lost any money or whether they just they gave you a five year loan and then changed their mind and they want it back after two years, <laughs> so they're complaining to the powers that be about it. Uh, that's going to cause a a, um, a a violent reaction, I think, generally from the state in regards to your private lending activities. Um, now, you, you had said something else uh, just in passing earlier, Jillian, about uh, knowing the investor, about uh, showing showing that you did have a relationship with the investor. And there's a lot of rumor floating around about exactly what that means. If I, if I exchange three emails with him in 30 days, do I now have a relationship with him? Or does it have to be someone I dated? I mean, what, what, what does that mean? The funny thing is, now, it, it, the... There is a very bright line in the state of California. And the, the rule across the board is you must ha- establish a pre-existing relationship. I know that there's this talk about the three-touch rule. Now, personally, I have not been able to find that rule in the law. I have looked. It might be in um, some state laws. I have not been able to find this three-touch rule. I do know the rule in California is that you can establish a pre-existing relationship with an investor qualification form. Now, the definition of what a pre-existing relationship is is that you are intimately aware of one's financial status, and you can establish this awareness with a form. So you could live next door to your next-door neighbor for 20 years and under the eyes of the law not have a pre-existing relationship because you may not be intimately aware of their financial circumstances and their ability to invest. And that's what it really comes down to. Are you aware of their circumstances and their ability to invest? And then you can say you have established a pre-existing relationship and make them a proper offer to invest with you. If you don't have that pre-existing relationship, then you are not conducting yourself appropriately when going out and looking for private lenders. Again, with the three-touch rule, I don't know anything about that. I, I've heard it multiple times. I've tried looking for it in the law. I have not been able to find it. Um, if somebody out there knows anything about that, please let me know because I love to read it. But in here, here definitely in California and in several other states, you can establish that pre-existing relationship 
with an investor qualification form asking your potential investors some questions so that you can get an understanding of what their financial circumstances are and their ability to invest. Very good. We're going to take a quick break. The numbers to call with your questions about raising private money, securities issues, etc. in the greater Cincinnati area, 513-772-9658 or toll free 877-772-9658. You can also go to the askvina.com website, fill in the response form and send us an email. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. Talking today to Jillian Sidoti, an attorney about raising private money legally. Jillian is the all-day speaker at the 2011 New Strategies Summit that's happening November 3rd through 6th in Columbus, Ohio. You can get more information about that at wmkvfm.org. In addition to that, uh, Jillian's associate, Mark, is going to be in Cincinnati on October the 8th to do an all-day class on the same topic uh, for Cincinnati RIA. And you can get more information about that at CincinnatiRIA.com or at 859-292-7342. Now, uh, Jillian, um, we, we've done topics related to this on Real Life Real Estate uh, several times in the last few years, and I always get emails and contacts and things on the Facebook page after it's over from people who basically think I'm, cry- I'm crying fire in a crowded theater because they've been borrowing private money for 20 years. They've never given a disclosure. They haven't even heard of an investor qualification form, and they've never had any problem at all, and this must be some scheme to sell courses. So can we talk a little bit about what has changed in the legal environment in the last four or five years that has made what we always should have been doing a necessity? Yeah, well, here's the thing. Law has always been there, but it's kind of like the police can't catch every speeder and, you know, security cameras can't catch every shoplifter. And I'm not saying anybody's committed crime out there because you're not. You're just not within the letter of the law. That's, that's it. The law has always been there, but now there's much more emphasis on enforcement. Um, and, and all of these attorneys who are working at the SEC and and the state um, securities departments are looking for the next Bernie Madoff. And how great would it be to nail a real estate Bernie Madoff because of the troubles in real estate? And real estate investors and entrepreneurs are being targeted, and real estate in general is being targeted. There are rules here just in California where if you're doing specifically a real estate offering, not just an offering like for any kind of company, but a real estate offering, you can't take more than 10% of one person's net worth. Um, And they really come down on that now because so many people have lost money in real estate in the last couple of years. And so many investors have lost money in real estate having invested it with real estate entrepreneurs. So you can understand why the legal system is shifting in terms of actually enforcing the laws now. Like I said, they can't go after everybody. That would be 
silly um, and, and, a, and probably a waste of resources, but don't let it happen to you is my point. Um, no, I'm not out here trying. I, I give away, Vina, you know, I give away a ton of free information and free stuff, and I just want people to be out there safe. I've seen what, it ha- what happens. I've, I have multiple clients that have been the subject of subpoenas for doing something very simple that no, you wouldn't know otherwise was wrong. Um, so just don't become a victim of that. I, I get it. I do get it. Um, and I get that people are out there doing this and have been doing this for 20 years and have never heard of this. Just because you never heard of it doesn't mean it didn't exist in the first place. And just because you weren't doing it didn't mean you were doing it right in the first place either. But the the law has definitely shifted and changed, and enforcement especially has shifted and changed. And you've got to be very well aware of that. Let's talk about the other big real estate urban rumor out there, along with the three contacts rumor. Uh, And that is that if you don't say things like guaranteed and you don't make an actual offer and say I pay 8% interest or whatever, that it's okay to do things like round up a list of investors that have invested in something else and send them a postcard saying, come see me. I, I have a, I have an investment I'd like to talk to you about. And that this is not going to cause any trouble as long as you don't say things like, uh, you know, 8% or guaranteed. That's not true. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. Was that sigh a little too big? <laughs> when you send something, there's all kinds of things in the law about sending things in the mail, especially soliciting investors. Uh, you can't do that. Uh, if you do not have a registered security with a state registration board or with the Securities Exchange Commission or both, then you cannot be sending what are considered general solicitations through the mail. These things with the luncheons, all that stuff, you can't be doing that if you don't have a pre-existing relationship where you've pre-qualified your investors prior to coming into the room. It's that simple. If you want to send out postcards that say we have a free information session, not on our instance, but we have a free information session on the real estate market today, come in and find out more, and then you qualify people at the door before they enter, then I I might be okay with that. If you qualify people, you get that pre-existing relationship established before you let them into the luncheon, sure, that's okay. But um, I would also put disclaimers on every single piece of mail that you've ever sent out. But if if that gets into the wrong hands and can be construed as a general solicitation, you're dead in the water. So um, that's that's the basic bottom line. You can't be sending things in the mail. These and and another thing, I I just want to make a note about accredited investor lists. Oh, I have a list of accredited investors. How many times do you think that list has been used? over and over again. And how many times, and this is just a, from a practical standpoint, not a legal sta- standpoint, how many times do you think those investors have received postcards that say, get an 18% return on your investment today? And how many of those postcards do you actually think they've responded to? And I can almost promise you zero, because it has very little to do with the credible returns that you offer the savvy investor, and rather what your business is, what your plan is, and who you are. And you can't convey that simply in a postcard. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Now let's um, let's talk about uh, what wh- what this means to qualify the investor. You said you said you might be okay with it if before the the folks walked into the room for your luncheon or whatever that you qualified them. What does that mean? When that that's what I was talking about with the investor qualification form. And I've actually gone to events like this, which were run by very large investment opportunity type firms who work with um, small and medium cap companies, not just real estate companies, but biotech and tech companies and entertainment companies. And they'll usually do these investor expos where they'll invite, um, they'll invite accredited investors to the event to hear presentations on various different companies and and what those companies are and what they're all about and what their plans are. But before anybody is allowed into these rooms where these presentations are going on, the company makes them fill out an investor qualification form to verify that they're actually qualified to invest in any of the opportunities that they might hear today. And also, terms and conditions about investment opportunity aren't so much talked about. More that is talked about is the business and the business, uh, the, the people who are running the business and where the business plans on going in the next couple of years. Because still, before anybody can invest, uh, an investor has to still read a proper disclosure document or private placement memorandum before they were able to invest with any of those investors. So... I'm going to kind of wrap this up here with this, saying this. If you want to do a luncheon, then you need to have it educationally based. Talk about your company, not your investment opportunity, and make sure you qualify those people with an investor qualification form. Every single person who enters that room fills out one of those forms so that nothing can be misconstrued as you selling a security to unqualified people. Because there's a lot of law out there and a lot of cease and desist where a postcard got in the wrong hands and it got sent to a Department of Securities and a agent showed up as a unassuming attendee to watch a sales pitch and the next thing you know, that sales pitch resulted in a cease and desist. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. I assume that all of this applies to advertising other places too. <laughs> Craigslist. Oh yeah. Bandit signs. Yeah. Uh, it's just a, a famous thing, I guess if you will happen all the time. I I just went onto Craigslist and I chose a random city in the United States that uh just for the, for the purposes of, you know, not getting anybody in trouble specifically. The headline is up to 40% return on your money. United States real estate is at its all-time low. Investment company seeks wealthy individuals or institution to partner in distressed properties and discounted mortgages. All investments secured by properties at less than 60% LTV with substantial upside. Investors must have minimum $100,000 to invest and ability to move quickly. Uh, Short-term investment, six months to one year, hundreds of properties available. Are, Are there any circumstances under which that's okay? If you want to go out and advertise your security, you've got to register the security, and then you still have to send the advertising material to the 
the FCC or the state, if you're registering it in the state, to make sure that it passes muster in terms of their guidelines. But I'll tell you, 40%, that's never going to be okay. There's nowhere in the world to be all right. Yeah, so um, lots of people are doing this, and I'm I'm certain that, uh, you know, every day somebody, somebody says to themselves, wow, you know, Craigslist would be a great place to advertise for private lenders, because I know all accredited investors are looking on Craigslist for their $100,000 investment uh, that they want to make. Uh, so... <laughs> So oh, yeah. then they right. <laughs> then they look in Craigslist and they say, "Well, look, nobody nobody's nobody's doing this. I should I I, I have I have found this untapped market." And uh, I actually just picked two other random cities out of Craigslist and I'm finding these ads every place. So don't uh don't assume that because somebody else is doing it that it's okay and don't assume that since somebody else isn't doing it you have discovered something brand new because it may be the reason they're not doing it is because their state attorney general already contacted them about it we're going to take another quick break if you have any questions for Jillian Sidoti on raising private money 7729658 or 8777729658 or go to the askvina.com website send us a question via email at the response form there Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. My guest today is Jillian Sidoti. She will be at the 2011 National New Strategy Summit speaking all day on how to correctly raise and even pool private money. Her associate, Mark, is going to be at Cincinnati RIA on October 8th on the same topic. You can get more information on the former at wmkvfm.org, on the latter at cincinnatiria.com. Here's another Craigslist ad for you, Jillian. 50% net profit for your private money. Successful and professional real estate investor looking to partner with a private money lender. My team does all the legwork. We find, get the property under contract, design, rehab, stage, and market to sell, and you fund the deals and get a 50% split slash net profit share. Note, you will get a 30% return on investment or 50% net profit share, whichever is greater. So your investment is secured and guaranteed the best ROI. (laughs) Great. Awesome. Secured um, and guaranteed. Sign me up. <laughs> exactly. Um, and <laughs> leaving 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 aside, you know, my my uh, suspicions about an ad like this, which go, why is somebody giving away half the profit from their deals if they're such good deals and they have so many of them and uh, private money is actually going at about six to eight percent? Why is this person offering to do a fifty fifty split? Hmm. Leaving leaving that aside, um, the definition of security includes well, I, something about it being somebody else's effort. You know, it was so funny that you said that because um, I was going to say I was just going to say if you don't if you just give me a second, I want to just uh, say what the definition of security is. There's a test. So for all of you out there that are second guessing this, the test is this. Is there an investment of money with the expectation of profits in a common enterprise due to the efforts of another? And see, that's the thing. You're the other. And, and your investors are always going to, of course, expect a profit. And they're investing capital. Otherwise, why would you need them? So the question that people always get hung up on is the common enterprise factor 
and the common enterprise factor is going to be your real estate investment firm or you doing this serially. Of course, you don't plan on just going out and buying one deal. You're going to do it over and over and over again. So, trust me, the the state and the and the government are to derive common enterprise as necessary. So they'll find it, um, and especially because this this ad clearly is for a common enterprise because it's not directed at one particular individual. It's directed at anybody who's reading the ad and is interested in investing. So there you go. <laughs> um, yeah. So there's, there's also an alternative to all of this, she says five minutes before the end of the show. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> an alternative to the, to the one one lender, one property, always looking for the next guy to, to deal with the next property um, uh, model. And that is largely what you're going to be talking about at OREA. And although in some ways the, uh, the idea of actually doing that private placement memorandum with the federal SEC seems much more like difficult and complicated to people, in a lot of ways, it makes your life a lot simpler than worrying about all these rules state to state. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. If you, you know, and I, I am going to emphasize this a lot. It, the thing is, is if you are any bit successful raising private money from private lenders, you're going to realize very quickly that it's difficult to maintain books it is difficult to keep track of investors, and more importantly, it's difficult to keep investors' money into your deals. Why? Because every time you sell a deal, you have to go back to that investor again and ask them for the money back. How about you structure it so you don't have to ask them the money back, and you can flip their money over and over and over again? So in other words, investor one invests their money, and you buy house A, you sell house A, and then you buy house B, you sell house B, and then you buy house C, and so on and so forth, without ever giving that investor their money back. If you're attaching that investor to each and every single deal, every time you close a transaction, you got to give them their money back. So one of the things I'm going to concentrate on at Aria is how to pool money, how to put money together from multiple investors so that you can go out and buy multiple properties and not have to give them all the money back every time you sell a property. And you can keep their money for as many years as you lay out in your plan. And it's not as difficult as you think it could be. So uh, we're going to talk about all that stuff and, and really go through the whole thing on how you can get a document like that and go out and get investors. And I'll tell you, I have a lot of clients and I have a lot of very successful clients with with doing this method and being within the law and, and being successful real estate investors. And, and I'll tell you right now, anybody, anywhere can accomplish this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes, the, um, the issue that I often find when I am talking to particularly new investors, people who are working on their first through their fifth deal, when I say, well, you know, the the whole private lender thing, I know you're seeing a lot of it at the real estate associations, but it's maybe it's maybe not the uh, most practical way to do things. And you have to deal with these registrations with the state. So maybe you might want to think about looking at this private offering thing, uh, their, their first reaction is, well, no one's going to invest with me. 
I, I'm, you know, I'm just doing my, I'm just doing my fourth deal. And there's people out there who've done hundreds and hundreds of deals. But at the same time, what I've basically found is that the private lender who will finance your first deal is probably the same guy who's going to invest in your private placement. Right. Right. And it just takes one. It just takes one guy to get invested for the rest of them to fall into place. And it's so funny because I have a client who raised $5 million in the last 18 months, and he had never raised any money before. And I asked him, you know, how did you do it? You know, for the purposes of asking for my other clients to share his story. And he said, you know, Jillian, it was just like you said. Once I got started, it was so easy, and the money just came into place. And as a matter of fact, he even told me he had to stop taking money because he couldn't find enough deals to purchase. So he had to hold off on taking money from some of his investors until he could find deals to place their money with. <laughs> wanted to be sitting on their money. True story. So um, I'm telling you right now, anybody can do this. You just got to put in the time and put in the effort. And, and honestly, and I'm, uh, I'm not trying to be sales pitchy here, but if you come to OREA, you will hear a lot about those techniques and methods and what you can do. Let me uh, let me run a quick question by you that just came in via email from Deborah here in Cincinnati. She says, okay, Jillian, you've put the fear of God into me. The problem is we live right at the corner of Ohio, Indiana, and Kentucky, and I have private lenders in all three places. Do I need to pay back my private lenders in Kentucky and Indiana, or is there some way that I can register in all three states even though my properties are all in Ohio? Um, first of all, I, I, I want to encourage you like, to somehow get in contact with me because, no, you don't have to give them all their money back. I want you to get that upset about the whole situation. The thing is, though, I would go out and file a Form D because you have um, cross-state lines. Now, now that you've, in your mind, asked me what's a Form D, <laughs> <laughs> the Form D is the form that you file with the SEC to say I'm using this exemption. Mm -hmm. So that's what you want to file. It's saying I've crossed state lines or I'm planning on crossing state lines and I'm planning on raising this amount of money in, in, in the year, whatever the case may be. Um, but just because you cross state lines isn't going to put, you know, be the death of your situation. Uh, you just really should be, like I said, making proper disclosures. I don't know the law in all three of those states off the top of my head, um, but I'm certainly going to look them up once I get off this call. I'm curious now, but there's probably an exemption from filing in those states, um, luckily, um, especially if you're securing the property with a deed of trust. I mean, you're securing the note with a deed of trust or mortgage. Um, but you do probably want to consider in the future filing that Form D with the SEC. Very good. We are out of time. Thank you very much for sharing your expertise with us today, Jillian, and for being one of the featured speakers at the Ohio RIA conference coming up on November 3rd, 4th, 5th, and 6th. More information at wmkvfm.org. We will be back next week with more information to put you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. Until then, happy investing. Happy investing.